Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein, singer, songwriter, director, producer, all part of Harula Rose's resume. Let's start with the big screen. Not only is Harula making her directorial debut with Once Upon a River, named one of the most anticipated movies by Filmmaker Magazine, she wrote the screenplay, the coming-of-age drama about a Native American teenager based on the best-selling novel of the same name, has won more than 17 awards and has been screened at 30 festivals. Harula was the executive producer and part of the cast of Lost and Found, a comedy drama about family, friendship, and marriage, which had its premiere at Tribeca. She's also produced documentaries, including The Fear of 13, Heaven Adores You, as well as numerous shorts, As They Slept, Wedding Dress, Baby Crazy. Harula's work has been supported by a Fulbright Fellowship, Warner Brothers Directing Workshop, AFI Directing Workshop for Women, and Tribeca's All Access Program. Oh, and when she's not writing screenplays or directing films, Harula makes music, which, by the way, can be heard in many series, movies, including Once Upon a River, and commercials. She's performed in the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Asia, and has released a pair of LPs, two EPs, remixes, compositions. Okay, let's meet and get to know Harula Rose. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Thank you for having me, Sandy. I have to begin with this question. What the hell don't you do? Oh, uh, yeah, that list was, I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. <laughs> I, uh, a lot. I can't really act, I guess. I don't know how to answer the question. <laughs> well, it was said very much tongue in cheek as I just rattled off all, <laughs> all the uh, credits that you have to. You know. I'm just really excited to talk to you. I don't know how you do what you do. And I was just like drooling over your Lena Olin interview. Oh, yeah, that was great. She was absolutely lovely. I have met the classiest, most terrific ladies around. I think we're well over 400, and I'm really happy that you're joining the list. I can't wait to hear more. And then I was up so really late because I was just like in this rabbit hole that you inspired me to go on. Oh, (laughs) well, now we're going to transcend that because you and I are going to have a conversation and we're going to talk about your creativity, which apparently you have in spades. So what came first for you when you were growing up? Was it music? Yes. um, Music came first. My mom has a really beautiful voice. And um, though she's not a professional singer, she was always singing. And music was a big part of growing up because they're from Greece. And she would always have her Greek radio playing and just sort of, I think it made everyone feel better to have the mother tongue going on and um so music was first and then I fell in love with films because I just remember watching I I wasn't censored for better for worse as a kid so I was watching like the elephant man or Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet and Mm, mm -hmm. movies when I was like four or six (laughs) (laughs) Uh guys I already have tragic DNA but okay Uh I started to see the convergence of the two and so it's always been it was hard for me to pick one singular path. You know, I guess you can do one thing at a time, but it doesn't preclude you from doing these two things. And that's why filmmaking feels so inspiring to me because it it makes those two things merge with mm-hmm. many other things. But I just love the collaboration involved with the various musicians and everyone on the crew. And so it's felt very fulfilling. Well, I don't begrudge you those feelings, but what I have to stick in here is you got to have the talent. What you can want and hope for is one thing. 
clearly you've got the street cred. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I think um, this feature film has been uh, incredibly validating in certain ways because it's like, okay, I've been going to do these shorts and helping other people on their projects. And it's, it's kind of graduating into another sort of class just in my own mind, like, right. oh, I did this feature, now I can handle anything, you know? <laughs> it felt really great in, in a lot of ways. I read that you went to the University of Chicago. Did you major in film? I wish they had more, they had extracurricular, you could go to doc films and see films, but it wasn't necessarily a major. I think it more is now, but what they did have, which I'm grateful for, is it was definitely like the great books and tons of literature and highly deeply intellectual place. I'm glad I went there, but I wish that they had more creative classes at the time, which I think they have now. Mm -hmm. I ask this often of my guests, take us on your trajectory. What were you majoring in? What did you want to do? Oh, wow. This is a great question because I didn't know that you could do any of these things that we're talking about as a real career on some level. Like I knew people out there in the world did such things, but I didn't know that it could be for me. And so I I feel like- For you as a female, by the way, or just for you in general? Oh my God, doubly interesting. I will get to that too. I feel like it was, um, nobody in my family had done anything in, in the creative field. Everyone's creative on the side. And it was always treated as like, yes, this is a fun thing that you're doing theater and music, but what's your actual job going to be? And so I didn't know, I, I feel like had I known that sooner, it would have helped things along in a certain way and, and more direction while in college. Maybe I would have picked a different school, but I also feel like everything happens for a reason and I'm right. glad that it did, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had gotten my master's in education at the same time as I got my bachelor's and I thought, well, I love all these things and maybe I'll teach those things. And then I fell into a job. Someone heard me sing and they hired me to do some voice for commercials and, and singing for them. And then they hired me as a producer at that company. And then I was working at a casting agency at local theater companies. And it was all in Chicago, all at the same time. I had an internship at Steppenwolf. And I was just like reaching this ceiling of wanting to do everything I could to learn. And then at this job, I would meet all these directors who were often all always male, actually. And I thought they would say, there's a way you could be a generalist in a super specific way, you should think about film school or go into directing if you like casting and you like this aspect of producing and you've performed yourself and, you know, it's a a really good gig. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? I didn't know, I didn't know film school was a thing at the time on some Mm -hmm. level. So I feel as though I come at everything with a certain enthusiasm all the time because it seems like I realized it all after college. What I'm gathering as you're talking about this is that people saw what you could do and that sort of tripped one thing to another to another. And maybe sometimes that's the best when you're not planning anything, that it becomes sort of serendipitous. True. Yeah, for sure. There's a certain kind of serendipity and synchronicity to life. And I I I love I, I love when things happen and you don't necessarily anticipate it. Like you think of someone and they call you or you run into someone who inspires you or you see them somewhere and you're like, okay, so I'm on, I must be on the right path, whatever that is. I, I guess you kind of don't know what you can't do. And I often say that the, the a lot of the key members of a creative team, sometimes it's nice to be so limitless and 
blissfully ignorant because you don't know what you're capable of if you don't know what you're not capable of at the same time. That's really sage advice because oftentimes women have felt hampered. I say this too ad nauseum in my interviews. Is this strong sense of self among these women, whether they're young, old, And I get that sense from you too. It's not that you, I can conquer anything, but you were willing to try. And it was important for you to do that. Yes, it was. And it is. And I often say to people, because now I've started mentoring younger filmmakers, and I often say that you should just be trying everything and have a clear idea and vision. But what's really incredible, and the filmmakers I tend to love the most are also the ones that You have this clear vision and plan, but you're also open to what might be a better idea that comes along. If you're working with the right team members and collaborators, then ideally they have their own brilliance and you've recognized that in them. And there's this old idea that you have to be, I mean, I like, this is sort of an old alpha male idea of the guy who comes in, who knows everything and plans everything, all his <laughs> auteur vision and all that. Right. I, I kind of think that's a bunch of BS on some level because it is so collaborative and you do make these great choices. And the reason you make those choices is so that those people can also shine. And it's like your own ego doesn't have a, a place there. It doesn't really serve the story. It doesn't help anybody. So it's nice to be like on this tightrope walk. It's, it's really thrilling of being open to something that could be a better idea, but also having a really clear idea of what you want at the same time. And that's always been, the more I do this, the more I realize how much I love that. When I finished watching Once Upon a River, scrolling through the credits, I was very pleased to see that there were a lot of broads who worked on that film. I'm sure that was a conscious effort on your part. Maybe it was unconscious. I swear those were the best people that I met with and they felt like they fit the story and they got the vibe. And I thought it, it was interesting that that fell into place. So maybe it was an unconscious thing, honestly, because I felt like there's key people that are, that are male as well. Like our sound recordist was amazing and he's a guy, but like, yes, the DP and the production designer and the costume designer and the editor and uh, one of the editors. And it was one of those things where I, I was pleased to know that the best people were those people. And they also happened to be women. <laughs> what was it like to put this together? I know we're jumping around a little bit, but you seem to focus a, just a tad on the film part of your career. Is that what you really are involved with the most? Yes. Right now, I think that is the goal is to focus only on that. And I'm still making music and I will always love it. But I guess I sort of feel the world is in a state right now <laughs> where no one's touring. Everyone, you can record from your home or your friend's studio. Of course. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very malleable. So it's been nice to have this time in the upside of upside downness, uh, having this time to write and to plan and to think about how to move forward new projects. But with Once Upon a River, it was a trip. I mean, I read that book and I fell in love with it and I really knew I wanted to tell that story and I was very selective about what would my first feature be. Like I, I could have or should have done it sooner, but I was like, what do I want to be married to for a long time? And that spoke to me and meeting Bonnie Jo was something that solidified it. But That's the author, Bonnie Jo Campbell, right? Yeah, she's wonderful. She's become a good, dear friend. And um 
from taking that book to turning it into a film was was years and and meeting tons of people and none of it feeling quite right executives who were also interested in it but a different take on it that wasn't mine and so I just realized if I was going to do it it had to be in this very independent sort of renegade way and with whatever I could get to, to do it honestly it was kind of a miracle because it was a period piece with sexual content that's sensitive with violence and stunts and boats and guns and a big cast and a girl who's undiscovered but an amazing raw talent who's very difficult to find it was just a, a million challenges and setbacks but it required that focus and that love of the story and knowing like if I don't do this now I'm never going to do it and I don't want to live that life was it difficult to get people to get on board it, uh, it was in some sense because um, I think the biggest part was the internal shift, what you were saying earlier. It's like, if I believe it and I can say that I can do this and now I feel that I can and I'm confident, I'll pull it off. And it took me a minute to get to that point. And then once I realized, oh my God, the rights to the book are going to be up. And then if I don't do this and I've been committed to doing it and I love it so much, then I'll, I'll really regret it. So once I made that decision and started looking at locations and figuring out who my team would be. From there, it found its way, but it wasn't without setbacks. I mean, I remember at one point on set, we, we like didn't have enough money to actually finish the shoot. And then we found what we needed to get through that part of it and then continued to raise money in post. I mean, it was very, looking back on it, it was, it was actually insane, but I'm glad it worked out. Because yeah, but you know, this reminds me of being pregnant and not giving birth to one child but sextuplets or whatever. You were at the helm. Yeah, I get the, I gotta get this guy and a cinematographer and on and on and on and on. You're kind of glossing over this. This shit's a big deal. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. I feel like maybe I'm in PTSD mode or something. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was fun too. I think honestly, once you get to a place where you're you can see it and you know you're so close, then you become obsessed and sort of maniacal and not in like a manic, crazy way. I mean, you just do it. And I think I'm glad I'm a woman because we can multitask way better. I remember there was a night where I was like cooking food for my actors who were crashing on my couch in this tiny cabin where we had this incredible location, these cabins along this lake in rural Illinois up near the Wisconsin border where we shot the the majority of it. And then we shot some in Woodstock. But yeah, I just remember like I was cooking for the actor who had just arrived. We were going to be running lines and meeting everybody. I just found out that we just didn't have enough money to finish the shoot. And I was like trying to keep my cool and also thinking, okay, we need to focus on the shot list with the DP and I need to go through this with the natural progression for you. Was that what you aspired to do a feature film? Yes. Yes. It still is. I have so many that I want to do and a couple lined up. And this in particular was the one that I wanted to be the first one, like the firstborn baby. Mm -hmm. And the acting bug bit you, but didn't own you. Right. Oh, I feel like if I'm just playing some version of myself, that's really fun. But the idea of like slogging to auditions and playing someone else all the time, I'm I'm in love with actors. I love what they do. It's a, it's a magical thing. It's transcendent. And my joke is, well, it took me so long to figure out who I am. I don't know if I want to go to anyone else. <laughs> but I think that's a, that's a really interesting assessment because who you are 
feel like I've come, we've come to praise Caesar here. <laughs> it's very multifaceted. You don't want to be pigeonholed. It is. It was really, it plagued me for years though. I thought, well, will people take me seriously as a singer songwriter, as a touring musician, if I'm also making films or will people think I'm just dabbling in film if I'm also right. making music. But right. I feel very grateful that I, I kept on these two paths because it feels like they really complement each other. And the stories that I want to tell, those things are very deeply interwoven. So I'm, I'm glad that I went through all that kind of self-torture, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is your music very personal? It is. I like to think so. And, and also, I, I get inspired by characters. I found a way into the story initially by writing a song about Margot. And that's... In, in terms of Once, Once Upon a River. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not tease our listeners. Talk about this film. Well, this film is about an odyssey that this young woman takes. And at the outset, she's a girl who seems to be very quiet and doesn't have a voice. And by the end, she's a woman who has determination and has found her place and her voice and so it's a very internal shift and bonnie joe would always make this joke she says still to this day i didn't do you any favors creating a protagonist who doesn't have much to say like there isn't much dialogue with Mm, her mm. but that's what i loved about it and that's what i continue to love about it is that you see so much happening within this person like her inner life is is expressed so clearly and the arc of it is very obvious when people see the film. So there's a lot of external factors and violence in this road movie. But usually in a road movie, you have like your companion. There's two people or the dog. Mm-hmm. And there's really just her and the people she meets, that sort of um, pilgrimage of sorts. And I feel that you can see her change and feel that shift and it's very moving. I, I get really emotional at the ending still. and and I. Even in the edit, when we were working on things, I would always feel, you know, I have no problem crying. And I I remember feeling emotional by the end of it very often. How did you come to cast the young woman who, by the way, in the film is 15 years old? Kennedy de la Serna. She's amazing. This is one of those movie stories that you think is um, like real life is is better than fiction on some level or you, you can't make it up. So we were about a day away from having to call off filming. And I was like, no way, this is crazy. I remember I had my head in the pillow. Couldn't believe it. We had the money. We had the crew. We had the locations lined up, everything. But the lead girl was still elusive. She was out there in the ether. And, and there was this wonderful casting director who helped me find a lot of people. But none of them were quite right. And I, I felt like Goldilocks, like one is this, one is that. And you have to find the right exact person. Otherwise, you can't make the movie. because mm-hmm. Well, she on. is the movie. Yeah. She came to me because there was a friend, uh, a person helping me, like many of us, on this very small crew with a very small budget, everyone was wearing multiple hats. And there was this woman who was my assistant slash casting associate slash she also had a part in the film slash uh, helped with general production stuff and was putting out casting calls on like backstage.com and all these places. And she said, Hey, there's this girl. I think um, I just got someone that you should look at. And I was in total despair because I couldn't commit to any of the people that I had seen. I just didn't feel right in my gut. Mm-hmm. And 
and you just can't, you just can't do it. It's like, I mean, yeah, I, I just remember that feeling now. Oh my God. And then she said, well, you should take a look at this girl. And then I looked at this girl's video and I just knew right away. And I was like, I think that's her. And I wanted to go do a lens test with my cinematographer in New York anyway, to look at these vintage lenses and see which one we liked the best. And this girl was based in New York. And I, we called her and said, Hey, we love your audition. And um, the girl called her. She was like the, she called her and said, the director wants to come meet you. And Kennedy is so funny when she tells the story, she's like, she thought it was a hoax. And then there's this joke about, are they going to murder me? What is happening? Like she's flying to New York. I can't believe this. (laughs) And so I flew there and we did this camera test in a, an office building. We just like very, you know, sort of corporate room, turned off the lights, used some candles, did the campfire scene with a friend to read with her, tested out these lenses while simultaneously seeing if she could be if she had that kind of romantic chemistry and spark, if she could be sexual, if she could be shy, if she could be alive in certain ways and, and also quiet in other ways that the character needed to be. And and I have to, I guess I am going to name drop for the first time. I had this mentor who is uh, Warren Beatty. Uh, he was, oh, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. So I met him through the Nantucket Screenwriters Colony and he called me every Sunday during prep and production to check in on things. It was amazing. He watched several cuts, gave me notes, but back to the beginning of all of this, I had this phone call with him where I was like, I don't know if I'm, I might have to cancel this whole thing. And he said, there's no way you can cast your lead if you're not going to be in a room with her and see the chemistry. Like, what is she like? You need to get your ass to New York ASAP. And I was like, of course, that's right. Common sense. And so I got on this plane, did this test. She checked all the boxes. She was just so awesome to work with. And there was a way in which I almost, I directed her, but it was also a lot of like holding open space that day. And then on set, it was just like, sometimes it would just be sitting with her and like holding her hand and just being in this vulnerable emotional state together and saying one or two sentences. And she would already be there in this raw, vulnerable place. So, I mean, I made the right choice and it was terrifying thinking we would have pulled the plug, but then this tape came in. It was wild. I mean, had we not gotten that tape that day, it was possible that, I mean, it was the last 24 to 48 hours where we would have had to pull the whole thing because the day after we wrapped, it snowed. And a lot of this happens outdoors. I mean, I knew I was up against the clock in every other way, but then with the weather in the Midwest, that was a big consideration. So literally the day we wrapped and we were leaving all these cabins and cleaning everything out, we got like a foot of snow. You keep using the pronoun I, which I'm saying is a good thing, but I just can't imagine this. I was worried about this and I didn't know about that. And then I'm cooking for the cast. I mean, come on, Harula, do you are you listening to yourself? Well, it just felt like it had to be done. In order to make this happen, it felt like there's so many people there for me because of me bringing them there and trusting me. So I'm mm. going to totally step up to the plate and I'm not going to let anyone. And it wasn't die. overwhelming to you. I think it was, but I probably just quelled that or learned how to manage it very well. Like nobody could tell. I mean, there were times where I was nervous, but it just mm. weird feeling this like innate sense that it's going to be okay. It'll work out. This has to happen. It has to be this way. And obviously, you know, I always credit my awesome crew, honestly, like people who are in it with you, they're not doing it for money. They're not doing it because no one knows what it's going to be yet. They're moved by the story for some reason or another. But I had 
great producers, production help. Everyone was doing way more than they could bear or shoulder too. So it wasn't just me. And, and it was an amazing experience. It was like really transformative, I think, for a lot of people. So it makes me happy. How long was the process? We shot in Illinois for about 22 days. And then we had another like three half days or so in Woodstock, New York. Maybe four. Yeah. I want to know what you also have on your front burner. What is it that you want to do that you haven't done? Or what, do you, what is this desire inside of you that, of a story that you have to tell? Or maybe a song you have to write? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I think I'd like to figure out how to tell the story of, I think, my family on some level. My parents coming to the States with nothing, that hmm. story of nothing and and having to build that all from scratch and then for me to be able to have these kinds of opportunities also gets me really emotional so mm. it'll be nice to be able to tell their story and I mean there aren't that many like Greek singer-songwriters doing like Americana music so maybe it'd be nice to tell that kind of a first generation story set to maybe I, I hate the word musical because then you think of like singing in the rain, but I just mean a music based <laughs> story mm-hmm. that involves that, that sort of immigrant tale specifically what, what they all went through. Did your parents meet here or in Greece? They did in Chicago. Ah, I just yeah. total serendipity again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they knew right away and they got married. It was all very romantic. And then they lived in the, in the apartment above the restaurant where they met and worked. And then they had two kids there and I don't know, they just figured it out. It's pretty miraculous. So that would be a very interesting dynamic to tell your personal story in conjunction with theirs. I, I don't, yeah, I haven't thought it out. This is the first time I'm actually saying this out loud to anyone. I just think that that would feel, you know, I, Bonnie Jo just shared this um, poet, Diane Seuss at the library of Congress giving this really amazing talk and she talks, she uses the word language as a verb. She says, languaging something. Mm -hmm. I thought that was something I'm going to carry with me because she talks about languaging your experience and taking trauma and giving it a sort of, um, this, these words. And it's sort of the idea that you can transform something that is so, painful or sad or beautiful or complicated. And if you give it these words, then somehow it, it heals and not only you, but other people. So this is the first time I'm really thinking out loud about this, but I feel that in, there's a lot of sadness always in in different journey stories and in every family. And it would be nice to be able to, to talk about that. And maybe it helps someone else too. I don't know. And also know that they can be uplifting as well. Yeah, both things. Yeah, I mean the bittersweet, the the melancholy, the the heaviness. The like once upon a river is dark, but I like to say it's dark but hopeful, and that feels real to me. It feels more authentic than everything being all buttoned up and clean. I'm curious, not having the talent to be a singer or a songwriter, when you're composing, is that you just have to get those songs? Yeah, sometimes it's a it's a melody first. And then the words come. Those feel more natural to me. The melody captures a feeling and then the words come. When I start with the headspace of the words, it, t- it takes me years to finish a song or it just never gets finished. 
So that's something I've learned. And then you try something technically more challenging. Like with Once Upon a River, the reason I also wanted to tell this story first was because creatively it was so deep and interesting. And I love this character and I love what she goes through and everyone she meets and the dialogue and everything felt very fresh. But it was also like my headspace in terms of, okay, I get to work with a stunt choreographer and I'll work with an armorer. And the technical side of things felt like, okay, I'm going to learn a ton on this one thing. How cool. So with guitars, I like to try to tune them differently lately and see what that speaks to. Trying open tunings, it feels nice and seeing what comes with that word-wise. You know what's so interesting as I was listening to you is the contrast between the solitariness of writing music and being in your own head and and wanting to express yourself that way versus <laughs> it takes a village to make a movie. What a what a fascinating contrast, A, and B, how clearly it seems you've been able to navigate from one to the other. Honestly, they feel like they really balance well in that regard. One is I can pick up a guitar anytime and write a song and then call a friend and be like, hey, let's do this. But obviously with movies, there is this sense that you know, there's this filmmaker I love who says you need to make friends with despair. You just need to get used to it. And and that's not wrong. But it's also a glorious thing when it does work out and everybody gets to inhabit their space and you've helped make that happen. It feels so nice. And, and I just love it. And I guess it also feels so natural. Yeah. And that's the thing is, so I feel like when when you ask the question of, oh, it's it's all on your shoulders, I just feel as though it's on everyone's shoulders once they take part in it. Like, yes, you're the mama bear in a sense, and you're looking out for everyone. But but once, and, and directing is a funny term for what it is, because you are directing, but you're also like holding space and you're allowing for something transcendent to happen that you that is unpredictable. Like whether it's a scene with three actors or a very quiet moment where someone is really moved and becomes emotional. Like you're setting up that space. It's, it feels like a very feminine thing to me. So it's hmm. always interesting that it's primarily so dominated by, by men because it does feel like, I don't know, like if you're going to be open and try to come from this egoless place and you're holding the space for people to be able to be vulnerable and become someone else, it feels like, I don't know why. I just feel like women are really good at that. And up until recently, didn't have much of an opportunity to show that or to prove that. I've interviewed quite a few directors and not for nothing when shooting begins and there's, I don't want to take direction from a woman. Clearly that has not been an obstacle for you, especially to be able to impart to younger girls. And let yeah, them know the world yeah. is your oyster. I mean, it's a funny question because it's like, how do you know if it's been an obstacle to me? Like, I don't know if it has on some level because I've just been making my own stuff with people who I believe in and who believe in me. And it's very symbiotic and you just figure it out. But I haven't worked in television. I haven't made a big studio movie. I don't know what it would be like to be up against that sort of monolithic structure. But I, I would like to have that experience at some point, I think. But for now, I feel like if you pick the right people, you don't butt up against that because they already are kind of on your side. I think there are times where you feel, and I have felt with certain men that 
I do feel like there there is this way of like mansplaining things. <laughs> sure, sure. Unbelievable how much that happens. And I don't even think they know they're doing it clearly, but that's one thing that makes me laugh. And also you're just like, oh God. But then there's also the sense that if you know what you want and someone isn't listening to you, that can be frustrating and you have to like find a different way into it. And then sometimes be very direct, which sometimes can be called bitchy mm. uh, for a woman. So that is something that I think... I've had to, I feel like I'm like so calm and like the way I talk is so chill. But when, when things come down to it, you just have to find a way to get what you want on some level. If you know it's the right way. And the times that I didn't listen to that, I always regret it. So I now know it's been hard for me to like find that, that voice sometimes like, no, listen, let's do this. I I know you're, you're, I just don't feel right about that. Let's do it this other way. Again, I'm struck by the fact that you could be providing such a public service if you spoke to girls in high school and showed them, hey, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I just did what I needed to do for me. Obviously, the fact that you have talent helps. (laughs) Well, it's weird. Do you want to live with that idea? I mean, I have it on a couple of instances, even on this movie, where I'm like, I knew the right call in that one little moment. And I listen to someone else. But, you know, I don't want to live with that kind of haunting. I'd rather be called a bitch in that moment or something and then just know that it works out later. How do you feel about your music? Do you want to continue to pursue it? Would you like to record as well as perform? As I mentioned in the introduction, you've been a lot of places touring. Yeah, I love that feeling. And I it takes you to all these incredible places. Like I got to tour China, 12 cities in China a few years ago and, and Thailand and Canada. And it's just, there's nothing like it. And it feels wonderful to meet people there and to share your stories. And I, I love it a lot, but it also feels like it can be very taxing in its way as well. I mean, all of this stuff can be exhausting. You just have to pick what to do when. So I still want to do music, but I sort of joke that it's like, it's not my wife right now. It's like the mistress or something. (laughs) Again, you know who you are. And that just, that just kind of, it inspires me. Well, that's good to hear because there's a lot of days where I still feel like, do I, am I, I don't know. I'm just like going with it and hoping that that continues to be the case. I think it took a long time. It did take a while, a few years after college to figure out that A, you could even do any of this stuff for real and B, that you could do it as a woman and mm. and C, that it feels like a viable actual career. You know, like it still feels, I'm, I'm way into the rabbit hole now. I'm not going to leave. I'm, I'm, I'm committed. But I still feel like there are days where it is really hard and uh, I still wouldn't choose anything else. But it's a difficult thing to call a career sometimes when you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Right. There's coronavirus. There's um, multiple things up in the air and how long they take. Who knows? So that's why I'm very grateful that I have this other thing called music that's like a yes. world because movies can take forever and it is such a drag. I mean, it really, it really is. Everything takes however long it needs to take, but movies can take forever and it and that can be very frustrating. And music can be just about you and your thoughts and and you can be in your own space, your own head, your own world. Yeah. And it's nice when you can play an instrument with someone else. It feels like you're speaking a totally different language or singing harmonies with someone. It's, it's a thrilling thing in a different way. It's probably what actors feel like when they're acting, you know, you're in your body and your 
head in this way. That's But how nice when you're making music in terms of a transcendence. It's not denying what's going out on out there, but it's being able to put it off to the side for a while and have what it takes to make you feel good. Yeah, I feel lucky. I mean, and I also feel like there's a certain kind of magic or synchronicity to who has appeared in my life at these certain junctures that, I mean, like there's this one person who's an executive producer on the film who's also, he runs the label in Nashville and he has been, he's become a real ally and a friend and supporter. And he saw early on, he was the first person who read the book and was like, yes, I want to help you make this. This is amazing. And were it not for that person, then it's David Macias at 30 Tigers, by the way, he's awesome. He like, were it not for these certain people who believed in it and who could see that it's important, I just wouldn't be able to do any of this. And, and I met them very str- in a very strange way. I was trying to submit my music on their website in like 2011. I was trying to send my first record to them. And he happened to be on tour in London and the website wasn't working. And I, I wrote to the like general email information of like, hey, I'm trying to submit my music and the email's like bouncing back. Just wanted to let you know. And, and then I got this email back right then from him like the head of the company <laughs> with an artist. And, and he said, Hey, just send it directly to me right now. And I said, okay. And so I did. And then that turned into this like pen pal email ship for a while where we were trading on music and introducing each other, different things. He liked the record. He was like, I want to know what you're doing next. And then we started talking about film as well as music. And they wanted to start thinking more about film too. So it was just the craziest thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And had I not done that at that specific moment, when he got that, I just don't know what would happen in my life. You know, There's the definition of carpe diem. Yeah. It's insane to think about those things or like just certain relationships that are very impactful and inspiring and really run deep. Like when, when you think about how they started, you're like that. Was it a coincidence? Was it synchronicity? What, what's going on here? But I, I like to believe that things have um, a deeper purpose. I mean, I'm romantic. What can I say? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's also that openness to be willing to try new things and to be open to have them enter your life, your heart, your head. And in that same vein, I ask this question also a lot of my guests. What would you ask of me if I was your fairy godmother? Oh, wow. I would maybe say, what should I do next? Um, I feel like there's different things to focus on, even just uh, personal versus professional too, on some level. They are sort of the same, but I do feel like I've made a lot of choices that are, okay, I wonder if I'm ever going to do all of the more traditional things in life. Like, am I going to have a family in the end Mm. or am I going to get married or not? Or Mm. like, how do you juggle those things? Um, I'm not sure. So there's a lot of introspective in Harula Rose's life. Well, yeah. Also, I just like to roll with it and be spontaneous. And I feel like um, maybe there's a way in which you have to not be that way as much. I don't know, but that's just how I am. Like I like to be able to drive somewhere and see my family or friends or, Oh, there's this, artist I really want to meet and oh there's this guy that he's a musician but he's also an actor and he might be interested in reading for this role in the next movie like let's make it happen and mm-hmm. so do I, you have a project up your sleeve that you can share yeah well I, there's a few they're they're all in different stages of incubation <laughs> mm-hmm. 
One of them has producers involved and feels a little bit more grown up. We're figuring out sending it to actors. And that's the reason I'm in Nashville is because I'm scouting locations. It's set in Tennessee. And also because I like being here and musically it's very inspiring and I can finish a new record. I'm like four songs into a new record with this really great producer and hopefully it'll come out in early 2021. So there's music stuff going on that also ties into the movie because this movie has some musical elements that are also woven into it. And then there's a documentary I've started shooting in conjunction with a nonprofit that I think is really changing the world and what they do. And the documentary is about gun violence. That's pretty heavy and it's going to be ongoing for the next probably couple years. In terms of features, yeah, there's the one that's set in Tennessee. It's like an adventure story and you're in the head of these two kids And then there's also one that I co-wrote with a friend that's literally about a musician who she comes from a kind of legacy family. And with that comes both the blessing and the curse of that talent. And she sort of gets blindsided by a surprise. Uh, Mm -hmm. Her her ex, her ex's kid shows up that she didn't really know existed. And so it's like a, like a paper moon meets a crazy heart sort of thing. (laughs) So there are a lot of irons in your fire. Uh, Those three primarily are the ones that I want to focus on. But yeah, there's other ones that are more doable, so to speak, with friends that are like very independent micro-budget stuff too. One's Mm -hmm. in Chicago and one's in New York. And we just did a Zoom reading of one of those scripts last week. And that John Ashton will reappear in that, as will Coburn Goss. So some of the people in Once Upon a River will reappear in that one. It's just a question of what we can and can't do coming up because they're all... The smaller ones have some financing already set up and are super doable, but COVID is weird. And I want to figure out how to about Mm -hmm. it, especially with with actors who might be more fragile with whatever they're going on, whatever's going on with them or their Mm -hmm. age. So I just, I'm not sure of these things. Yes, there's many irons in the fire, but it's strange to like at the same time, nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you're just open to all possibilities, which is, of course, a great thing as we try to configure this unfortunate new normal. It's been tricky. And I, you know, I have to believe that it's a good time to release a movie because I had to make the call at some point. Do we want to do it at five theaters and have it just die? I don't want to tell people to go to the movies right now. Or do we do this virtual cinema release, which is sort of the same thing and helps keep your local art house cinema going I mean, it's a weird time to be releasing anything and even doing self-promotion feels kind of strange as like everything's literally going down in flames and there's like birds falling from the sky and like (laughs) shit is happening. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, hey, check out my movie. It feels kind of weird, but (laughs) maybe this is good because people will maybe be cooped up at home this winter and want to go on the road with this girl. She's such a great character and the friendships she has. And I, I want it to inspire people to like, be kind to strangers and to meet people on the road of life, so to speak, that may change you. And that's, I hope people see it. Well, we should end this conversation on an upbeat note, no pun intended, and play one of your songs. I guess it makes sense to play the song Margot, which is about Margot Crane, the lead in the film. Years before the film was even close to being truly born. I wrote this song kind of thinking about the character and the world and it helped me get into it. And it was on my record that came out in 2016. 
Harula Rose, I can't thank you enough for having a conversation with us. More continued success and joy in your life. You're really quite a woman. Oh, thank you. Mutual feelings. I'm so happy to have met you. I hope we get to stay in touch. Absolutely. So from Harula Rose, Margot. It seems a luxury